Hi, thanks for joining us on It's Just Money Live. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about kind of two ends of the spectrum. We got Jack here with me, a financial advisor and lawyer, where we are going to discuss kind of what to do if you are kind of in debt, behind, maybe looking for a side hustle, and also on the other end of the spectrum, what to do if you're younger, you have margin, you're saving, and uh, you're kind of looking for more of the what to do with your investments and your debt free. We're here to talk about bread, lettuce, cheese, dead presidents, green. It's just money, man. It's just money. Hello. Welcome to It's Just Money Live, where you've got money questions and he'll have money answers. We'll do our best to answer your questions um, as you feel them to us. So I'm Jared. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a master's uh, degree in personal finance. Um, I love small business and anything that has to do with uh, really organizational leadership. Uh, today with me is Jack Kenyon. He's a financial advisor, a lawyer. He's from Legacy Group. Uh, so off camera, we got Matt Anderson, Dr. Matt. He has a PhD in psychology. So Jack, you know, um, you want to introduce yourself a little bit more, give us more background on you? Uh, like Jared said, I'm a financial advisor and an attorney. Um, I work with clients on their financial planning and investment management, uh, which is a, a very rewarding career because you get to know your clients really well, um, become a part of their lives and hopefully improve their lives through really good financial planning and investment management. So it's kind of me. If you have any questions uh, throughout the episode, definitely leave a comment below. Uh, as far as more of my background, if you haven't been following our show, uh, Jack has been already a guest episode or a guest on it. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I've been more inside the startup and or first five to 10 years, but then also kind of my average business and client I work with actually tends to be 50 plus years old uh, towards 60 and kind of heading towards those final 10 years. Uh, as far as uh, first questions, Matt, I believe you have some already banked because people sent them in ahead of time, which thank you for sending us your questions. Yes. Um, here's our first question. So this is kind of in response to one of our episodes where we talk about ways to get ahead. As someone who's very far in debt, I don't see saving, investing, or house hacking as possible ways to get ahead or really just less behind as I'm wondering if you had any ideas for someone to side hustle extra income to pay off debt faster because um, buying and selling and flipping um, stuff doesn't work for me. Oh. So what do you guys say? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's a tough place to be. Good that you're thinking about it and trying to address it. Um, there's a concept, I think, that, that half of the battle on a lot of this stuff is psychological. It's very practical, right? There's money in, money out, money in, money out. And uh, only so much can go towards debt service and a variety of other things. But I do think that part of the battle is that there's the period of time while you're getting out of debt or trying to get ahead, you actually have to live and experience that time. And having uh, positive feedback loops in your psychology to, to help you push forward, um, I think is a good basis before you even go and get a side hustle. Because if you go and get a side hustle and you don't have the perspective that you understand exactly what it's going to do for you over the long term, then it's probably not sustainable. If you're going to add 
10 hours of work a week or something like that on, on a side job, if you don't have some vision for what that can provide, then um, it's probably not sustainable. So one of the things I like to remind people if they're in debt or feel behind or, or whatever else is, um, even if you have a negative net worth, meaning you have more debts than assets, every time you pay off a little bit of debt, your net worth is going up. This feels better on the positive side of things when you get older and you have more assets just because you've been working for a long time. Um, but if you can remind yourself that every debt you pay, your net worth is, even if it's negative, is getting bigger. It's getting better. It can help keep you focused on um, why putting the extra effort into a side hustle um, is even worth it for the long term and help you keep that perspective for the long term because everything's going to take a lot of time. Sure. Yeah, I always, uh, I had a kind of unique situation one time where somebody was in a good shape. They had a pretty good negative net worth though. I mean, it was like, all right, I get it. This is really stressful, but you have a good job. You're actually getting paid well. Things are going well. This is, when you step back from a perspective of planning, you're like, you're totally fine, but that doesn't make it easier for that person because all they still see is this moving net worth that's still negative and it's a big number. So I actually said, stop looking at your net worth, which is usually the opposite of what I tell everybody else. And I said, only look every, if you, you know, don't look too often, but look monthly or however often you're actually making reasonable uh, moves on it. So if it's quarterly, but only look at the positive gain in net worth. Exactly. Do not look at your your net worth because we already yeah we already know that this is going to work out. You even know this. You're smart, but you need the right feedback loop that supports these decisions. And like I am making the right decisions every day, so all these sacrifices are paying off, and I can see it. Because if you see something that great, I'm make up a number that's really big, and it goes down, even if it's a big amount, but small in proportion of your debt, it just the wrong feedback loop. If you if you owe just to put numbers, some people are numerous. So this is if you owe ten thousand dollars and you pay off two thousand dollars, a lot of times you're just going to feel like, well, I I still owe eight thousand dollars. What did it even matter? And what you should think is, I'm two thousand dollars richer. Yeah, because that is really what you are. Your two that your net worth is bigger, and so you you're two thousand dollars richer. I think it's pragmatic too to just say as far as um, actual side hustles. It can be worthwhile to pick up a couple of shifts in a part-time job if you have a plan. Either and this is going to, you can serve, you can look at getting part-time jobs at UPS or FedEx if you're in physical shape, particularly if like you have a desk job during the week and then you can do something physical on the weekend. Now you don't have to pay for a gym. And now you don't have to pay for a gym, right? We just cut expenses for you. Genius. Yeah, one of the things I always to say is, you know, we're 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 probably speaking to and and assuming this certain levels, but understanding if you're not sure because we we can't cover everything mm -hmm. and we only have so much time. So if you're not sure where you are, getting on Google and finding out the averages for income in your area and mm -hmm. debt, it, it it helps me at least if I can know, hey, I actually make 10% more than the average family in my city. And so if I feel like, oh, and I have 10% less debt. So I felt like I was in a really bad position, but it's that mental knowing where you are. And then you can understand like, oh, I, 
maybe I can cut my expenses more. Maybe I can be more aggressive here. Maybe it is worth sacrificing, but usually it's you have to sacrifice on the expense side first, create that extra margin, use that margin to pay off your debt. Don't spend it on something else. And, uh, and yeah, you begin to get debt free. But as far as side hustles, what are some reasonable things that somebody could do? I mean, obviously Uber. Um, I think that, uh, like I said a minute ago, I think that actually looking for a part-time job waiting tables um, is actually a decent idea because probably you can make 12 to 15 hours and dollars an hour and um, you have a lot of flexibility on schedules yeah. if you find the right one, if you look around. Especially um, a weekend. I think baristas that, that can yep. be a great weekend barista because yep. weekends are when they're busy. And it might not be demanding. And that goes down to your personality a little bit too because like I was saying, the UPS or, or FedEx example or something like that, where they're usually hiring somebody part-time. Um, Artistic people, Etsy, especially yep. if you're doing the thing you love. Yep. Um, but yeah, we'll have to think of some other additional ones for additional situations. For you can look on, you can look on Craigslist. You can look on Upwork. There might be skills. You got to think through the skills that you have that you mm. can use. Cause if you have extra skills and you're just not using them, maybe there's a way for you to use them five or 10 hours a week. Some, somebody through Upwork or another online service. Fiverr. I've heard of Fiverr. Fiverr. Yeah. People can, you can basically, if you're good at something, people will pay you to do stuff and you put it up for bids. I guess the last thing I would say too, is if it really is stressing you out and I, I've seen it both ways where people have already evaluated every asset in their life. Um, but if you have a car that's worth $8,000 and you can find a reliable one for $4,000, look at making that switch. And most people probably have a $15,000 car that they yeah. can get a reliable $6,000 one. If I can actually get some of the equity out of that car to pay down debt, do that. Also, if you haven't, this one's huge. If you haven't looked at balance transfer cards, if a lot of the debt you hold is in credit card debt, high interest sure rate. you're using your credit um, to be able to roll that to an interest-free card. There are a lot of cards out there for even people with middling credit where you can get 12 to 18 months interest-free. So you roll it from whatever credit card you have, transfer it to this other credit card. You're paying 18% interest over here, over to this card where you're paying 0% interest. And that means every payment you make is going to the principal. So your debt's going to roll down a lot, a lot faster. Make sure to look into that nerd wallet. I was going to say, I use that for quick, easy research for that. Just got my free flights. Yeah. Free hotel. Got to go on my getaway trip without having to spend all the money. I want to say one more thing about that previous question too, because I think that this one's important and it's, it's important for people to say this, but if you're in the situation and this doesn't apply to everybody, but if you're in the situation where you can live with family and you have a defined period of time that you're trying to get out of debt, so that your long-term future is more sustainable. Um, consider that. Not everybody does. Um, but but if you can, and you can live with low rent to family or rent-free, take advantage of that. There's absolutely no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and a lot of times, that's how people get ahead. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow current social expectations to prohibit good long-term actions. Um, now, this is not me saying that you should feel entitled to live in your parents' house because you're not <laughs> if you're 30 years old. But if they're willing to help you out, um, take it and use it and, and, and use that as a way to get ahead. So 
I've seen that before and I've seen I've I've seen people do really great things by being able to take advantage of one or two years where it allowed them to catch up or get ahead. Um so I think that should always be an option for people. Uh Matt, what do you got? All right. So and just to also say if you're listening later on the rebroadcast, please also leave a comment where you listen from and let us know if you like it. We come back and we'll look and we'll respond to questions even after um the live event is done. But the next one, someone coming in from a different financial situation where they, um, him and his wife um, have no debt, live below their means, um, are you know good at managing their money, but they have never really gotten to investing. So he's just wondering, what would what would your advice be to someone like that to get started? They're young, um, they're in their um, the young people, like, how do we, how do we start investing? He just doesn't know much about it. He has a Roth IRA at work, but that's about it. And so that was his kind of question of how you would suggest getting started. So first thing I always tell people who are young, getting started and starting to worry about investing is one, having a plan in place as far as the saving goes. If you don't, it's just like with business. I always tell somebody, if you don't plan for profits, you won't have profits. Like you build profits into your budget. Or you don't have profits. That's just how it works. So same thing at home. Uh, for me, I like to decide how much I'm going to save. And then I try to target that. And then I try to see if the budget is sustainable. So if you have a Roth or a 401k at work or something like that, then I'm always going to say, like, make sure you're getting your matching. And so obviously, hopefully this person is already doing these things, which is what it sounds like in this question. But being broader with anybody who might be listening. Start with making sure you're always taking advantage of your match. Oftentimes your work has a predefined options. And then there's sometimes an option for where you can manage it yourself or have somebody manage it for you. Uh, and so that's obviously where somebody like Jack's going to come in and actually be able to manage it for you and or consult with you and manage as you manage your own. Um, but one of the things I've not look too much into, which I will leave in your court, is I'm pretty sure a lot of people have questions about the robo-investors and some of the betterment stuff. I think that could work for some people, especially when they're young and just getting started, because oftentimes you're just trying to save enough too that maybe it makes sense to go to a financial advisor. So Jack, I'd love for you to weigh in kind of maybe what the industry's expectations are for people to have saved to go to a financial advisor versus kind of your expectations. And then I'm sure there's all sorts of ranges as far as um, places you can go and how they manage that money. But my big thing is, is planning your budget, getting your HSA saved up, knowing where you're going to spend, and then actually knowing this money can be invested and and kept there for a long time horizon or the longest you can do because you might be older. But one of the things I definitely have seen people do a lot is they they will be in that position they think, oh, this is ready to save. They put it into stuff, but then they have to sell it because they need to access that money. My big first and foremost is somebody in that position is make sure you have a reserve fund, make sure you're taking advantage of all the free money. And then honestly, typically I just say, hey, go, here's a guy's number. I'd talk to him. Uh, and I have one or two people like Jack that, you know, I'll, maybe I'll match up by personality and or situation. On the investing options side of things, um, for people just getting started, you can you can do one of two things. It's 
one one of the things that's important to understand is that the industry has changed so much in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, you needed a broker. Online brokerages were just getting started. They were still a fairly new thing. Um, How much did it used to cost just to make a trade? Well, I mean, in the 70s, it was $300 a trade. It's crazy. Um, but then it got deregulated and fees went down. And now trades are $0 at Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade. Robinhood. I think that E-Trade just got bought by Morgan Stanley this week. So I'm sure their trades will go to zero too. Um, so you can do it two ways. And I would suggest to a lot of people, particularly if you're, you've got the time and the interest to be engaged with it and you're doing it on your own, um, you can open an IRA or just a brokerage account at any of the big shops like TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, so on and so forth. You can do it online. Um, and then put $500 in and make some investing decisions. Um, it's a really good way to learn how the markets work, how investments work. It's a good way to learn about yourself, to know, well, I lost $100 on that thing. How did that actually feel? And then you get, give, it'll give you a lot of knowledge for your, the way that you want to invest in the future. Um, the alternative to that is you can go to, as Jared said, the robo-advisors. So those are places like Robinhood. Uh, Betterment and Wealthfront are kind of the original two. Betterment got started in 2009, I think. Um, and they have a very good retail platform. And essentially what they do is you put your money in on a monthly basis. They will automatically allocate it among a diversified portfolio of what are called exchange-traded funds, which is... Um, an exchange-traded fund is just a whole bunch of investments. It's like a mutual fund, a whole bunch of investments uh, put into one wrapper so that you can invest at all of them and thereby achieve immediate diversification, um, which reduces your risk. So that's why diversification is good. Uh, but that's another good way to, to get started because they do an automatic debit from your bank account so you can get the automatic savings. They're automatically investing it according to your risk tolerance, and then they will rebalance um, so say that you put money in and then a year later, some of the investments did well and some of the investments didn't do well. Well, that means the percentage you have allocated to different types of investments has changed. It started out as 50-50 and now it's 70-30. What Betterment will do is they will automatically sell some of the assets that have appreciated and buy some of the assets that have, have not appreciated as much so that your allocation goes back to what it's supposed to be over the long term. So. Obviously, you know a lot of this too, by the way. I just want to interrupt because you do it. Is there, a, out of curiosity, what is the line that most investor financial advisors even want a client? I mean, obviously, Betterment might be great for somebody who only has $500, mm -hmm. only has $1,000. Mm -hmm. But what point, I know this is slightly subjective and we're not, I should it's unphrase Betterment because there's lots of them. At what point, though, do you feel uncomfortable if somebody's using a robo advisor as an advisor? as a human advisor who, you know, or is, is there a number there? Well, how does somebody choose when they would switch? I'm just curious actually at this point. Well, that's, that's the debate that's going on. Uh, and I think that comes down to personality to a certain extent. Some people will say, and this is what Betterman's trying to, has been trying to prove for the last eight years is that there shouldn't be a line. They'll say the way that we invest is fine, no matter how much money you have. Um, for the way that our firm invests and then tries to manage risk. Uh, we, we, if you're retired, we have pretty much a minimum of about a hundred thousand. That's actually a pretty low minimum. Most financial advisors, it's 250 or 500,000. 
And that's if you're retired. If you're retired yeah, or approaching sense. retirement. If you're younger, then it's probably more like five or ten thousand dollars. Twenty-five thousand is about what I need to put together a full portfolio. Sure. But if I can see that which is quite a bit less than the industry average, also. Which is also less than the industry average. Um but you can see like, well, you guys are saving, you're trying to get ahead. A lot of times we'll do it too because we're doing financial planning with clients also. So we can see the path they're going on and we want to walk that path with them. Um, but those are the specific numbers, I suppose you could it's the, answer the questions. I also just realized, hey, by the way, the answer that I really have for this question is develop a financial plan. <laughs> yeah. So even if you don't want to use uh, you know, a financial advisor, there are people who do fee-based. Um, you can pay for a financial plan. And they'll help you make these decisions and customize this. I do know that Jack does this for a fee. Uh, and you can choose not to use that person to be your financial advisor. And you could also pay for a financial plan. Uh, and I know those can be economical and affordable and really help decide some of these key factors. Because every person is different when they should do or not do something. So I think that is actually um, my number one answer for our questionnaire is I would get a basic financial plan. Me personally, based on this, loosely based on the fact that you said no debt, young, having margin, I wouldn't pay for a very in-depth financial plan. There'll be people out there who will try to sell you a five or $10,000 crazy plan with all the details. And uh, I wouldn't do that. I would get somebody who really kind of knows what they're talking about can give you a very broad basic plan. Sounds like you're already kind of relatively looking into this, they can encourage you to also self-educate on even YouTube and help tell you what are good videos. And here's your basic plan. Here's how much you want to target. Once you get here, we'll switch to here. And I would keep that plan simple because that's good business. And in life, I have found good business consulting is good home financial consulting. They oftentimes overlap. Simple plans are oftentimes best because they change so much. You get a surprise raise, a promotion, something changes, you switch jobs, somebody loses twins. a job, you have twins. Uh, that's going to change everything. And so, you know, don't, don't waste a bunch of money on an exceptionally detailed 100-page book, even though that's exactly what things like the CFP board, which yeah. are training financial advisors to do. And that's why I didn't want to be a CFP. <laughs> there's definitely a place Sorry, for CFP. that stuff um, to have very in-depth plans. Um, but, but like you're saying, just getting a plan together, not that young person that something says that question simple enough, um, that the half of the reason that you do the plan is like Jared's saying, so, you know, you're putting things in the right place and so on and so forth. And half the reason you do the plan is because then you'll actually do something. If, if, if you don't actually have a written or a constructed plan, then all of the decisions you make are going to be ad hoc. And if you make decisions ad hoc, they will change more often than they should. They will be neglected more often than they should. But by putting a financial plan together or paying to have a financial plan put together, you'll make, um, you'll pass the future more constructively because you'll take away some of your ability to make decisions that you don't want for your long-term self, right? We're always in conflict, our short-term selves and our long-term selves. They both want something. Jack today wants something different than Jack tomorrow and, um, and Jack 10 years from now. So I need a way to be able to regulate all of that. And a financial plan helps a lot with that because when Jack today is like, I want to do this thing, and it's like, oh, that's, that's not the right thing, says long-term Jack. Um, so that's why you do a financial plan. 
Yeah, that kind of reminds me like the most basic principle that I always say is uh, if you don't have an accountability system, which is what a plan will be good for, yeah. then you don't have a system. Like without accountability, nothing actually happens. Yeah. And even taking like the first step. Right. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we are going to wrap up. For those who are rebroadcasting, don't forget. Uh, send in your questions. We'll try to answer them. You know, like us or tell us what you would like to hear more about. Future episodes aren't always just going to be about necessarily money or investing. You can really guide that conversation. Thanks for watching. It's Just Money Live. Follow us on Facebook if you want to see more money empowering content. Also, check out our YouTube channel where we put out longer video content that goes a little bit more in depth. We'll be back next month with It's Just Money Live. But remember, it's just money.